the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. We will. We got a lot to cover today, and we will get to it in a moment. What you need to know. What you need to know, there's a lot there. But first, uh, let me give you a little bit of a schedule update. We will be doing a, uh, a, a Christmas Eve and a New Year's Eve show. There will be no show on the actual holidays, so just for those of you that are planning. But we will, of course, always over at ProAmericaReport.com, we will always have the program there as a podcast. So you can always go over there and track it down. I hope you will. And uh, so please do that. All right, let's uh, let's get to some of what you need to know today. Lots of chatter, lots of chatter all over the uh, country now. Lots of people talking about what is it that uh, is happening in terms of the voter fraud and what the uh, deal is there. There. And here's the thing I got to tell you, it seems again, let me let me go back to let me go back to the framing that's so important to understand what's going on. The framing is this. There are three fronts to this battle. One is the legal, two is the propaganda information front, and the third is the Constitution. And of those three, I would say that the uh, the battlefront on the propaganda is the clearest because we're just getting our tail kicked. I mean, you got to go, you got to stick to a few resources, a few sources of news to try to get the truth. It's tough. It's tough. There's a lot of nonsense, a lot of nonsense. But on the battlefront, the legal front, there's a lot going on. On the Constitution front, there's a lot going on. I think all, all those places, there's a lot happening. It feels like the holidays. It is the holidays. It feels like the holidays slowing down. The news is using it as an excuse to hide from the truth. But don't worry. Don't uh, be despaired. Keep focused. January 6th is an important day. Inauguration day is an important day. And uh, there'll be a lot happening. And watch for it. And we're going to talk in a few moments. we got some great guests uh, on here talking about some of the other issues facing our families, facing uh, situations, but also we will talk with uh, Ali, excuse me, Ali Alexander, who is one of the founders, along with me, of Stop the Steal 2020. Stop the Steal 2020 has been engaged the whole time in the fight to try to protect this election and to get to the bottom of things. So we'll talk with Ali Alexander in a few minutes at A-L-I, Ali, on Twitter. He got in there early and got his name. It's incredible. And so we will visit with him. Now, um, uh, and you should, you'll be encouraged. So go there and check that out. Uh, uh, let me uh, let me say this about, uh, we'll also do an interview uh, tomorrow with our old friend, our old friend, um, uh, uh, Gregory Wrightstone about what's happening with uh, climate change. He's always good for the update. He'll give us a perspective on what the, the crazies on the left are saying next and now. Uh, and I think we might need to get a check in with our old friend Mark Schneider, the sub, at sub Schneider on Twitter. He's the best I know at nuclear, but Greg Wrightstone is the best at cutting through the climate uh, noise, the climate change noise. All right. What you need to know today? Well, what we've witnessed in the last day and a half is the swamp at its worst. 
Now, first of all, in the category of despicable uh, uh, human beings in public office, there's no one comparable to Nancy Pelosi at this point. Um, You know, she has admitted that she did not pass the massive uh, coronavirus aid package a few months ago because she didn't want to help President Trump. And so that's politics. It's probably always things like that happen. You know, the American people, millions and millions of American people are are struggling. And Nancy Pelosi chooses politics over people. It's not that surprising. But that she would admit it is a little bit surprising to me. That's a level of treachery and a level of despicable conduct that's really hard to believe. But there you have it. Okay, so that's one number one. But in the last 48 hours or so, and it's really been the last week or two, you've seen this massive negotiation and President Trump has had less power, less influence. He can certainly veto the bill, but because he is, you know, being pushed out of office, even by many of his own party. So what we have is this massive spending boondoggle. And um, what the swamp counts on is when they pass something like this, everybody just forgets over time. And frankly, it works a lot. In this case, here's the problem. Here's what you need to know. The people that are most likely to look up and be disgusted with this issue, this uh, set of bills and this boondoggle are the same people who were motivated to believe that Donald Trump was in there trying to fight the swamp. I mean, this kind of bill strengthens his hand. It really does. Although he probably has to sign it, in which case it sort of neuters his, uh, his argument. But, but in terms of the country looking up and saying, oh my gosh, look at that. They give $600 direct payments to some people that are in need, and the rest of it's tens of billions, ten, hundreds of billions of dollars in financial aid to other nations and, and bailouts to the Kennedy Center and all sorts of other spending uh, boondoggles. Back when this happened uh, under Obama, the massive stimulus, what happened was people were so disgusted, it became a sort of rallying cry. They didn't even know it was in it. And they, they didn't know, they didn't, the people that voted on it didn't know it was in it. The people that uh, were objecting to it just knew it was a, a massive mess. That's what people feel now. And here's the danger. Here's what you need to know. The precisely the people that won't forget that are going to be motivated more by hating the swamp are going to be watching this and thinking, oh, my gosh, this is what you guys have come to. Uh, By the way, Monday morning at six in the morning or four in the morning, I think it was six in the morning, might have been four in the morning. They they snuck into the Capitol. That's how I would say it. And took out the Robert E. Lee statue. Now, as I've told you before, I'm for more statues, not less. And I don't have any objection to the states deciding what statue they want. That's Virginia gets to pick what statue they want. And if they decide they don't want Robert E. Lee, that's fine. I, I, my own sense is they're objecting for reasons that have less sense than uh, and more about uh, political, uh, uh, politically correct nonsense. But the idea that they snuck in in Christmas week and took out this statue, the idea that they went then and passed this massive COVID bailout giveaway to all sorts of foreign nations and others, the the fact that they don't understand how this looks and feels to the American people, it, it is mind numbing. It's also mind boggling that they have no idea how bad this looks to the American people that are wondering how we got to this point. 
and how it's turned out like this. And again, what you need to know is I understand that the Democrats right now are excited. They think they might have the presidency and they're not even focused on anything else. They don't care about spending. They never do really, but they don't care about wasteful stuff. They don't care about giving money. They don't care if the money, a bunch of the money goes to defense spending. They don't care. They just want power. And they're, and they're coming they think they're coming into power. But the, and, and the Republicans are like, well, we know how to negotiate for power. That's what we did here. And they're like, we can play the game. The swamp Republicans. But what has always been the, the M factor, the MAGA factor of the election is people who see Trump as fighting to drain the swamp. This looks like the swamp is winning again. It is. This is the swamp winning again. And that's how it looks and feels to the American people. And they're beside themselves. They can't believe this is what's happened. They can't believe this is what's become of the effort to try to put America first. So what you need to know is the politics of this COVID bailout and spending, uh, you know, it's kind of an omnibus bill folded in. The politics of it is brutal. I would not want to be any incumbent for office in 2022 or even 2024. Because I believe you're going to see a massive drain the swamp movement that is going to move so strongly at every level, but especially the federal level, it's going to be striking. And it and and I I just can't tell you what you need to know is as you watch this, you say these people have a tin ear and here's the trick. They think they're going to wait you out and they don't know what the M factor is. The MAGA factor. They don't believe those people will be will care enough. And my fear, because I'm for changing the I'm for winning in Georgia. There are two conservatives on the ticket and they're both Republicans on the runoff. I'm for them winning. But the fact is that the uh, the reality is the MAGA factor is up for grabs. And all you have to do is to is depress that factor by a little bit. And you're going to see a dramatic change. And then we're in real trouble. So I just am telling you right now what you need to know as you watch this landscape and you say, well, there are people that are saying it's time to move on, time to move on. I'm telling you the time to move on people that are saying it's time to move on and it's time for you just to say, oh, thanks. What a great bill. What a great bailout bill. A little bit for the people, a lot for the the internationalists, a lot for the powers that be, a lot for the special interests, a lot for the lobbyists, a lot for the spending. All those people think we're going to forget And we're not going to forget. It's not going to happen. It's a big problem. And that's what you need to know. All right. We're going to take a break. In a few moments, we'll talk with Ali Alexander, founder of Stop the Steal 2020, as well as Stop the Steal 2018. We'll also visit with uh, our friend, our old friend, Mary Flynn O'Neill. We're going to talk with her about what's gone on with the uh, treatment of our families uh, under the uh, under the um, uh, under the uh, Child Protective Services. In fact, actually, we'll talk with Mark and Terry Stenman, too. Uh, First, we'll talk to them. I think we'll talk with Mary Flynn later in the week. So but this issue, I want to get into it more of what they're doing to our families through the power of the um, of the the government intrusion we'll take a break be right back ed martin here on the pro america report back in a moment welcome back ed martin here on the pro america report you know a few weeks ago we had uh, guests on mark and terry stamen i hope they'll correct me if i mispronounce their name i apologize already and i have told you before it's such a powerful story um so common in america that people are held frankly their children held hostage their family held hostage uh, by uh, child protective services and 
There are a million ways this happens. You know that old line that uh, uh, there's uh, there's a million ways for a family to be happy, or some phrase like that. And uh, and or or maybe <laughs> anyway. And and in, there are a million ways it happens. Like a million reasons. Sometimes it's divorce. Sometimes it's uh, you know poverty. Whatever it is, a million ways. But it always the common thread is the power of the state, uh, the power of government to take over families. And so I I wanted to get. Uh, Mark and Terry back on the program to tell their story a little bit and 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 give the context. So, uh, welcome, Mark and Terry. Uh, how are you today? Hello, Ed. Hi, Ed. Thanks for having we're, us on. Yeah, we're really honored to be with great you. To, um, you know that yeah, we're kind of short on yeah. time, so we'll make this short as possible. But uh, yeah, we're grateful please to do. you and and the great people at the Phyllis Shafley Foundation to, to uh, highlight this cause of what's happening to American families. Uh, This has been going on ever since the inception of the Adoption and Safe Families Act of 1997. Um, We have been subjected to a color of law kidnapping of our our seven beautiful children in 2016. And uh, we pursued a course of investigation um, and outreach to other people with Terry's work on the forgotten American that no longer ignored. And uh, what we discovered Uh in the course of our investigation was a um, there was an allegation made against us. It was a non-criminal matter. Uh, disguised as a civil proceeding uh, uh, under an alleged, the allegation was that we failed to get medical treatment for our 17 year old daughter uh, who we took to go see a medical provider. Uh, we just wanted her to have an eye test because we wanted to get her, her driver's license because we were concerned about her eyesight. And uh, uh-huh. it evolved into some other things to where without any forensic um, data being taken, like, uh, you know, a mental health evaluation or anything, she was, she was alleged to be possibly anorexic. And uh, so, and in imminent danger of dying. So, uh, as this unfolded over a period of about 42 days, um, CPS uh, became involved. And then, you know, there was no real, no attempt to secure the safety of our daughter until I went to court on April the 6th. And they put me in jail. And then that's how they got all seven of our children. And again, it's a non, a non-criminal matter. We were never charged with a crime. And they have had our children now uh, in, in the custody of other people for four and a half years. And uh, we, have re- the, the, we have refused to comply with services because um, we were exercising our, the protections of our rights. Um, being a 20-year retired veteran of the United States Air Force, you know, our constitutional rights at the state and federal level are very important to us, and especially for our children. And um, so uh, we have not had any remedy or return, even though we've attempted that through all justice channels, because what we discovered, Ed, in the course of our investigation was an infiltration in the CPS and family court system in Jefferson County, Kentucky. And we have brought this evidence out to the American people um, over various uh, Internet forums that uh, they can find. And uh, if you'll allow me to make a plug, maybe we can highlight yeah. that. But, yep. Um, okay. Jim White at Northwest Liberty News has picked up on our story and has, has been faithfully reporting on the plights of many Americans. And he can be found on a YouTube channel and uh, on Twitter, just do a general Internet search. But you can you can follow our story in the disclosure of the evidence. And uh, we are we are we are at this point, Ed, because the system has failed us. We have pursued all avenues for uh, justice through every law enforcement agency at the state and federal level. Um, the state of Kentucky. What, what is what? what, what let, let me. Yeah. 
Yeah, let me pause and, yeah. and ask, what's the sure. starting point? So they say you've got a 16 or 17-year-old daughter who they say they say is sick and, you know, that has has uh, an eating disorder. And from there, what is the how do they must have some justification they say out loud even though you look at it and say you two say that's crazy that that that's not that's not real that's made up. But what how do they how do they sort of justify it? Well, uh, they they justify it under this lying narrative of the safety and best interest of the children, where they, they take that responsibility and right that we have from our creator as parents. Like in our case, we had taken it upon ourselves to care for our child. We took her to a medical practitioner, or just like any other American would take their <clears throat> child to be evaluated for something. And yet they take the power away from us and, and, and still themselves as like, the overseers of our children and our families. And actually what it does is it works to destroy the family in the entire process. The children are taken. They're not, in in most cases, they're not returned to their biological family. They're adopted out. Uh, They're fostered out. This is why we hear so many commercials and radio and TV and signs in our communities for foster parents, because what they, what, what they're pushing is in the redistribution of the money and the children is the states and the foster parents will get large amounts of Title IV money that was enacted through the ASPA, the Adopt and Save Families Act, in 1997. And so what we're seeing is a breakup of the family unit on a large scale, and it really rises to an area that goes beyond just corruption. It actually is a seditious operation that's kind of compatible along the lines of you know, fraud on, on a wide scale. Um, like in our case, we have clear evidence of fraud, and uh, mm-hmm. we know of many other American families, coast to coast, um, where, you know, they are being defrauded in various ways and having their family, good families uh, that are being broken up, they're being denied their uh, rights, their practice, their faith. And um, it's just a real travesty. It's weakening our country. I want to ask you, I want to interrupt for a second and, and ask you about this, uh, the Title IV money. When it was created in the late 1990s, before that, was there federal money? Was it, was it, do you know, was it a lot less money? Is that, you know, it, 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 when you talk to folks about the abuse of power, uh, in this, they, they, they say follow the money. And it is, it does seem to me to be so corrupting. But did that, did that switch in the late 90s? Is that what happened or was it increased or why did it seem, why has it seemed to accelerate? so much. Do you have a sense? Yeah, I think it had to do with the large infusion that the incentive was established through the ASFA uh, for the Title IV mm-hmm. money that actually, it, it, the incentive was was geared toward um, the breakup of the family, that the big money under right. Title IV goes to <clears throat> the, foster, the foster care providers and not to relative placement. And um, in our disclosure, what we've identified is that uh, even under the ASPA, I mean, a lot of families are, are, are stepping in when children are removed and say, hey, we want to we want to care for the child. But uh, these corrupt and evil people in the system are not allowing that to maximize the title for money because the big money does not come through relative placement. So there's no incentive to keep the I family see. together. The incentive is to break up the family. Is um, who's leading on this in reform? Is there are there states that see it, and you've had some governors? Are there legislators at the federal level, or, or who who's the leaders in fighting back? Well, actually, this is kind of a, a, a grassroots "We the People" movement across the country. We've been trying to raise our voices in various ways. Uh, Arizona is really bad. There's a lot of states that just have a lot of problems with this, and it's all driven toward the acquisition of that money. Now, in our case, we have. Um, 
we have pursued every avenue in the Justice Channel. Uh, we, we, we try to reach people in the White House. We, we work with our representative, Senator Rand Paul, um, Representative Thomas Massey, and even Representative Brad Winstrup to highlight what was going on. And they attempted uh, to appear like they were willing to listen, but then in the end, we just got dropped and, and, and ignored. And yet we have a tremendous amount of evidence. And, you know, to the, really the, the fix is that we have to eliminate the monetary incentive under the ASFA. And we have to find a way to not proceed against parents who are not charged with a crime. Because uh, if they're not proceeded against, uh, you know, unless there's a, a crime, government should not be involved. And uh, so, you know, there's, right. there's no due process. <clears throat> Basically, the, the government becomes the parent, and the parents are basically booted out from having any uh, influence on their children. Hmm. It is. Uh, so uh, are there states that are better? Like if you're if you're a parent, you're going through this or you're worried. Are some of the states better? Like, is it I, mean, I assume California is brutal, but I would have thought Kentucky was a more conservative place. But I mean, Kentucky's not. So are there other places that are better? Yeah, well, you know, that's kind of the uh, part of the disguise is that one of the documents that we we're able to um, put forth over the last few days is uh, the percentages in Kentucky. They were the number one. Um, state where children were not placed with relatives. Uh, so it was, it was around 96, 97% of all children taken of, of over 8,000 children at the time. And we had been tracking this for about a year and a half um, who were uh, not placed with relatives. And so even like in Arizona, they have like, I think over 20,000 children who've been removed from their families, but they're on the lower end where it appears that, um, you know, there's a lot of kids who are being placed with relatives, but it's kind of been proportionate because the same amount of Title IV money is still being acquired, whether you're, you're a state with a smaller number um, as opposed to a state with a larger number. So huh. in some states, it is, it is worse than others. But, um, you know, just because you might have a state that, like in Arizona, might show around 45 percent of relative placement, but they have 20,000 kids who are being removed. Well, in comparison, like in Kentucky, um, you know, it's still just as bad. They're still getting, you know, a large amount of money that really what we feel is fraudulent. And um, so, so, so uh, if, yeah, go ahead. Every Sorry, state go ahead. is, every state that is, um, is affected by this and, and every family is at risk until, um, you know, this is stopped. And the other problem is, is that once children enter into foster care, and this is kind of what drove it, every, every state gets bonus money under Title IV funding to increase adoption year by year. So as children are, are funneled into the system and then they age out or they're adopted out, then they got to go get kids on the other end to keep this going. And they have to get more every year. And that's why this threat exists to every American uh, who has who has children because you know they're going to need more kids and so when we see like in our case we identified the fraud they're just going to they're just going to make stuff up to come come after people's kids to keep the money and what we think is the trafficking rings fueled because you know we know about the child trafficking that cps is a big pipeline for it, and this is happening in all 50 states Hmm. Well, it, and last question, where do people go if they want to either learn more or if they want to do something about it? Where do you recommend? Well, hi, Ed, this is Terry. We're actually starting yeah. an organization to um, to help offer support to families, because when we became affected by this, we noticed that there were there were a lot of um good people out there who want to help but it was it wasn't it was very disjointed we couldn't it wasn't pulled together cohesively and so that's sort of what we wanted to be able to help with is to bring all the people together who have been affected by this and all the advocates that are wanting to help 
And so we're starting an organization called Let Our Children Go. It's going to be at letourchildrengo.org. And in the meantime, people can reach out to us at letourchildrengo at protonmail.com. Um, okay. So, yeah, that's sort of good. where we're at that's with That's good. It. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Good. We'll put it up on social media. I got to run, guys. We'll have you back on again. Keep me informed, especially as that group starts, uh, as you start getting your feet under you. Let's uh, help uh, publicize that. I, I appreciate you, and I, and, and I, sure, I assume holidays are even tougher uh, uh, for you, uh, but I wish you the best at Christmas and pray for you and your family, and God bless you for uh, taking what is a horrendous, terrible thing and trying to turn it into something to make it better for other people. I appreciate it. Mark and Terry, uh, have a great day. Thank you, Ed. All right. Thank you. Okay, we'll take a break and come back. I'll put that up on social media, everybody, all those that information, and we'll track this story. I told you it's a very important uh, issue to me and uh, was to my late uh, boss and mentor, Phyllis Schlafly. So we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Be back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-American Report. My old friend, Ali Alexander, who received an Eagle Award, a Phyllis Schlafly Eagle Award a few years ago at Eagle Council, and is one of the founders. Now, this is important, Ali. I want to tell people. There was Stop the Steal in 2018, the kind of original that I think Roger Stone yeah. and you founded. The 2020 version, it's got a cast of characters. Ali's at the center that includes guys like Brandon Straka and Scott Pressler and uh, Ed Martin and a lot of others. So, But the original, way back in the day, it was a call. But Ali, I want to ask you this question. On Twitter, I noticed the other day, and by the way, Ali is at Ali, A-L-I, on Twitter. It's extraordinary to have that handle, like Jack, at Jack for Jack Dorsey. But 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 Ali, like um, t- t- 10 months ago, you tweeted, hey, guys, the election's going to be stolen if you don't get your act together. And you copied, I think, uh, the head of the RNC and the president. So why, this is a million-dollar question, why didn't, why weren't the Republicans more ready? I don't think they were willing to fight like Democrats. I I fundamentally say that uh, Democrats run campaigns since the 1960s where they're moving people to the polls. We Republicans still have never engaged in any activity like that. Could you imagine if we woke up the church and church vans were used to move Republican voters, Christian voters, small business owners to the polls? It'd be a fair fight. So we've only won as Republicans by the grace of God, truly. And I, I saw that they so, were structurally changing the elections. So and and uh, and so okay. So that I think that's right. I think a little naivete, overconfidence, uh, whatever. At this point, you know, are you, two, two, two parts of this question. Are you surprised by the stop, the energy, the stop to steal movement has with the grassroots? And similarly, are you surprised that it's not that's not more obvious to some Republican elected officials? Because it feels like it's it's like pulling teeth. I mean, it doesn't feel like it. you and I talk about it all the time to get Republican yeah. officials, elected officials to come out. I mean, the grassroots is like, yeah, we feel it. Let's go. And the elected officials are like, I, I don't know. You know, Ed, you know, you and I were both there at the beginning of the Tea Party movement. I was working very closely with Smart Girl Politics, uh, Eric Odom, Jenny Beth Martin, Mark Meckler, a, a bunch of folks at the national level. Uh, and what I'll tell you is that the energy now is actually, I don't know, it's more intense. But, yeah, I can't understand why some Republicans don't come out to these rallies or say, I'm going to adopt all of your talking points or this is the right thing to do. It's frankly bizarre to me. I've never seen the disparity between the energy of the grassroots on the ground and uh, our party 
uh, kind of acting negligent. Like, well, stop the seal, we'll end next week, or the week after that, or the week after that. We're never in it, baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're talking with Ali Alexander, at Ali on uh, Twitter. Um, so now the question I have for you and, and is, 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 I think, it's because you're succeeding, suddenly you're getting attacked. I mean, you were a known guy before this. Now, stop the steal. You're getting attacked by the left, by the right, by the middle, by the you know New York Times. Uh, so number one, that's got to not be entirely pleasant. And number two, uh, what what do you attribute, you know, what's the... What's the um, you know, the propaganda machine in this country is so strong. It mostly wears people out. And, and, and how's the, how's the, how's that, uh, how are you holding up on that? Well, I think that, uh, you know, my whole life has prepared me for this moment. I think all of us, I think anybody listening to this, we have a rendezvous with destiny, and it is today. And a lot of us thought this would be decades away where we would have to fight this, this battle uh, or we would fight socialism before Marxism, but it's all here. The other side is greedy. And so I would say is the propaganda machine, the first thing you must do is abstain from it entirely. So I don't do interviews with CNN or the New York Times or the Washington Post. I'm not going to try to make my case. They're not fair. Jesus was silent before the Sanhedrin, and I intend to do the same thing. If they are going to crucify me, they're not going to do it with my participation. And what we have found instead, you know, you and I and the rest of our coalition leaders, is that when you invite Epic Times, when you invite Newsmax and OANN, and you invite NTD and RSBN, you can actually reach more Americans and gather them and rally mm-hmm. them to our cause. So we've, we've found a more successful model, and really Republicans just haven't figured it out. We have found the promised land, Ed. Well, all right. Now, um, I, 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 real quick, because I have David Horowitz on all the time, and I just saw a headline, I think, on Twitter, Dinesh D'Souza, who said conservatives need to get into wartime mode. You know, David Horowitz always says the left is in a war with uh, the country. You know, it's not it's not. Uh, and so that's the mindset of the left. And here we are. Our guys are having debates and our gals are having, uh, you know, soliloquies. So what's happening in the next 30 days? Uh, you know, what, what can people be looking at? Uh, you know, the timelines on what's upcoming on what they should be kind of getting energized over? Really, the base and the, 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 the homemaker, the small business owner who's too busy to participate in politics, you're more powerful than you realize because everyone who works in this business, uh, you know, either as an activist or a professional consultant, is watching their metrics. And so if you will only have the courage to unsubscribe from people you like but aren't fighting and then subscribe to fighters that you may not like their personality, you will change the incentive because what we need more than anything right now is we need fighters. We absolutely need fighters. We need to tool the government against the institutions that are leading to our persecution, and they hope to have gulags for us. I mean, this is no exaggeration. The hour is now. So I would say is encourage the fighters. Support the fighters. Become a fighter yourself by taking time off of work or giving paid time off to your employees to participate in these acts of protest. We don't do events which stop the steal. We do protests. We're petitioning our government to do certain actions that we expect of them. It's in our social contract. We should have trust in a legitimate government, and our government's not acting legitimate. So I would say the thing for me is just to fight. You know, and when you get exhausted to get up again and keep fighting. 
You know, that's the only way that we teach the other side. You know, you teach a bully to stop hitting you by punching them in the nose. We've got to punch the left right. in the nose, and we've got to stop being nice about it. All right, we're talking with Ali Alexander at Ali and also StopTheSteal.us. Lots of tools at StopTheSteal.us. Lots of uh, places, uh, lots of uh, details and ways to connect in. Also, January 6th, a big event on the Capitol uh, lawn uh, there. Details forthcoming. Go to StopTheSteal.us. Ali, I just got like 30 seconds. Um, I, I guess everybody's saying, oh, boy, you know, uh, how's it ever going to work out? Y- you stay optimistic. How do you stay optimistic? I say optimistic. It's kind of ironic, right? I'm on my journey, uh, probably to the Catholic Church, but I'm a uh, I'm a Calvinist, and so uh, I, I try to think <laughs> that there are no outcomes. I look down at my feet and I say, "Are they moving?" So I live. Uh, I've structured my days in twelve hour increments, and I probably sleep mm. for about five hours a day. And I just say, <laughs> you know, am I doing everything that I need to be doing right now? Am I talking to the state legislators that I'm supposed to be talking about? What is the state that's about to fall to the bottom? And I just fight, fight, fight every right. 12 hours. Right. Well, good stuff. Ali, thank you for being on. I got to run. I'm up against a break. It's uh, it's uh, Ali Alexander at Ali and StopTheSteal.us. Uh, we'll take a quick break and be right back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Tyrannical governments throughout history and across the globe have all had one very important thing in common. From Nero's Roman Empire to Stalin's Soviet Union to Kim's North Korea, they're all alike in one respect. Tyrants always try to control information. They'll burn books they don't agree with and twist history to mean exactly what they want it to mean. There's a reason why resistors like Nazi Germany's Sophie Scholl gave their lives to spread information critical of the government. It's not because there is value in the little pieces of paper themselves, but in the information those pieces of paper convey. Americans are blessed to live in a land where we do not have to fear persecution and death when we choose to criticize our elected officials. However, there are forces in America that work every day to suppress our voices as conservatives. If we are to keep America from descending into tyranny, we need to recognize these forces and fight against them. Big tech companies have been flirting with censorship for a long time, but only just recently have they unmasked themselves as the tyrants we always thought they might be. Countless average Americans and public figures, including the President of the United States, have been stifled in their quest to spread the conservative message directly with others through social media channels. Just as you would expect a tyrant to do, these companies falsely claim that they are only trying to remove the fake news when they really want to remove inconvenient truths. Another force trying to control the flow of information is the mainstream media. Proclaiming good to be evil and evil to be good, they endlessly spin the facts. Meanwhile, the left pushes political correctness, which regulates what people are and are not allowed to say when discussing the most important issues of our time. If America is to triumph over tyranny, we must reject the censorship of big tech, the spin of mainstream media, and the muzzle of politically correct speech codes. Free speech is much more than just a talking point. It's our lifeline in the fight to protect American greatness. 
This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Whether it's the vision of our founding fathers, the courage of our veterans, the moral compass of Christopher Columbus, or the fortitude of presidents like Lincoln and Reagan, the truth of history should not be undercut by liberal ideology. At Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, we honor history even as we look to the future. Join us at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Well, let's wrap things up. I want to talk about a topic that's important to me that I've kind of put on the back burner for a little while. And you'll be able to listen to this segment over at ProAmericaReport.com. I recommend you do that because it's an important one. This is, this, I want to talk to you about how we can trust science in a world where science has failed us. Because we have to trust science to some extent. We'd be foolish not to, right? Now, the question is, how do you balance it? And in my existence, you balance it with prudential judgment, and you make some judgments on things. So here's one way I want to start this. Um, I remember watching, I think it was a TED Talk. And, and by the way, this has such meaning when you think about the institutions in our community that have been so successful at utilizing science and technology, especially in medicine and high tech, to make differences in our lives. You, you know, right in the San Diego community, Qualcomm has been an extraordinary company using technology and patents and all. Scripps, uh, the, the system of healthcare, you know, and all the different uh, related healthcare systems around. I mean, it's extraordinary how successful America's been at, uh, at having using science to make our lives better. Back up a little bit. Science and, and its ability to sort of um, make canonical judgments was helped almost, you know, kind of infinitely. It probably it, it really couldn't exist until the printing press when you could have um, researchers print things and circulate them. Because before you did research, you had to write it in your notebook and then someone had to copy your notebook. And suddenly the printing press allowed science scientists to compare what was happening. And it led to pretty quickly, 50 years after the printing press was popularly uh, used. First, they started printing pamphlets that were religious tracts and, and stories. And actually, there's a whole uh, it, it was a whole early industry in the first decades of, of dirty stories, you know, uh, of sort of uh, middle-aged pornography, I suppose you'd say. But pretty quickly, scientific journals developed. And that allowed the comparison of research, the reproduction of research, and people could get a, a sense. And that exploded the necessary kind of tool for science, which is, you know, comparing results, repeating processes, and seeing what's more effective and judging it. All the way down to today, and there was an article in the Atlantic magazine, which I'm somewhat relying on here, that refers to the fact that science beat the virus. That's true, sort of. But that the virus and how science did it, the virus sort of dominated science. Now, what, I, what the author of this piece is talking about in particular is the reality of so many people started writing and doing experiments on COVID that it sort of flooded the field. And many of the scientific journals, the bigger ones uh, that more important and more prestigious for lots of reasons, prestigious for history, pre the historical reference, prestigious for affiliation with institutions, historical for uh, affiliations with individuals that were famous, sometimes uh, sponsored by certain organizations that allowed or businesses that allowed money to be spent. You get the point. Those journals published a lot of people, lots and lots of people. And some of them, 
the argument in this piece goes, shouldn't have been published. They were pushed out there. And the point of this uh, article, in some sense, is that the, uh, the, the trust was eroded because there was a rush to be in the COVID field. People suddenly were like, this is not, this shouldn't have been published. Now, pull back a little bit more now uh, in terms of our experience in the last calendar year. The Surgeon General says, don't wear masks, they don't work. Dr. Fauci says, don't wear masks, they don't work. Uh, people say coronavirus has never had a, a, a vaccine or don't don't consider that. The experts say there's no way you'll develop an, a vaccine within a, a year or two. Now we have a vaccine six months into it. And we're now told we have to trust science. It all works. Now we're told masks work. We're told we were told social distancing was important. We were told that the coronavirus was passed by contact. We were told lots of stuff that turns out to not be true. Now, that's not uncommon in science. But what's uncommon is the, the, the speed with which we are told repeatedly trust science and push to trust science as a sort of, I, I'm not saying it's an excuse, but as a, a reason to move, reason to act. Not an excuse, but a reason. Say, hey, trust us. We got an idea. Fauci says so. And what we have now is a erosion of trust in a way that is profound, Perhaps it's good. Should we more, be more skeptical of experts? Lots of people argue yes. But it's also, it also can be debilitating. And it can lead to a situation where we don't know what to trust. And if the canonical science makers, the journals in this case, are also corrupted, you know, not trustworthy because they're moving so fast in certain ways, it diminishes our ability to trust. We're going into a really, really um, interesting time. Worrisome concerning as i've talked before uh, often my wife is a physician and she said that, you know the proliferation of social media not social media of uh, handheld devices made it so people used to you know she's uh, she's um uh she's been practicing medicine maybe 20 years uh, a little bit less i guess but in the early days people would use the internet print out things and they'd come in and say i read this on the internet or they i saw this on tv a commercial now they have their handheld in front of them and they're pulling up devices that are feeding them answers in real time and they're saying, I'm going to trust this. I'm not going to trust you. And of course, what they're trusting, is it any more trustworthy than the person at the doctor in front of them or whatever? The point is, we're in this incredible time where information is moving so fast and the canonical makers, in the case I'm thinking of these journals, are pretty much compromised, at least in terms of their trustworthiness, if not in trust in terms of their own conduct. It's leading to a place where doubt, you know, I often say this phrase to people, uh, don't trust and verify that, you know, the old phrase was trust and verify. That was, I think, Reagan that said it. Don't trust and verify. Feels like that's where we are. That's okay if you have the time and the inclination and the ability to actually verify. But if you can, for lots of reasons, it can be really debilitating. All right, more on this. I'm sorry, it's kind of a philosophical waxing and uh, here at the end of the show. Uh, thanks for listening. Thank you to Noah, our great technical director, Joanna, for booking our guest. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.